our CEO at the time had suggested that I share a room with him to think that it would even be suggested that like I should share a hotel room with my male CEO was kind of nuts in retrospect. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik. And in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, you already have all the talent that you need to succeed. have vivid memories that I perhaps wish were not so vivid, but they're from earlier in my career when I was pretty young. I just remember sitting in a meeting or sitting around coworkers and having this feeling of discomfort and just inner awkwardness. I I don't exactly know the word for it, but I just didn't feel at ease. And I thought that the reason I felt that way was because I was an awkward person and I was just having troubles assimilating into this new environment. And there are things about me that were and are awkward. So that is definitely a potential explanation for some of what I was feeling. But I can say with full certainty that it's not the complete story because I look back now and it's so clear to me that some of what made things hard and some of what made me feel uncomfortable and not good was I was very often the only woman in a room or in a conversation or in any situation. And I didn't really pick up at the time on the fact that that was even the case, which is crazy to think about. But even more than that, on some of the really subtle dynamics that that can create. And I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation with Caitlin because she talks about her challenges as a young woman in the ad industry, which is extremely male dominated. And she does such a good job unpacking how some of those gender dynamics specifically made things difficult for her and impacted the way she viewed herself and impacted her self-esteem. And I'm so excited for you to hear about her experiences and some of the challenges and for her to answer a really important listener question that I think will be relevant to many listeners, which is about how you go about building an interpersonal connection with your manager when you're the only female on the team, your manager is male, and you're feeling kind of like you're not in that inner circle or you don't have that same level of interpersonal connection, which the listener points out something so important, those intangibles and that interpersonal connection and all the stuff that lives outside of your day-to-day work, that can impact your career a ton. Caitlin offered incredible advice that I think will be helpful for almost anyone who's listening. So I can't wait for you to hear. This is part two of my conversation with Caitlin Maud, and I'll catch you on the other side. One thing I really want to hear you talk more about is the ad world. I know it can be a challenging environment for women, And I would be so curious to hear what your experience has been. Yeah. And so the role of advertising agencies has really changed even just over the past 10 years that I've been in the industry. But 
the challenging thing is as their products and services have evolved, the core of advertising still functions very much like you would see on Mad Men. So there's traditionally feminine roles, there are traditionally masculine roles, and there's a very strict hierarchy that has just not evolved since the Mad Men era of the 60s, since Madison Avenue. And so to put it in perspective, the creative director, so the Don Draper on Mad Men, is the visionary lead on any advertising agency product um, project. The, so the CD is like the person who gets to sell on the idea. You totally see it on Mad Men. They have the big glory moment. Currently, only 11% of creative directors in the advertising industry are women as of t- summer 2017. And that has gone up since I came in. When I came into the industry, only 3% of creative directors were women, which is why Kat Gordon started something called the 3% Conference to address the gender disparity at the, in particular, the creative director level, as these are the leaders and creative visionaries for teams. So we've brought it up to to 11% through things like 3% Conference and through bringing a lot of visibility to this issue, but that is still an incredible disparity um, that has really created a culture that doesn't work for a lot of women. And so all of these smaller budgets mixed in there means culture starts to suffer. It can start to feel really tense and competitive. Um, It's very, very corporate, but it's all of the trappings of a workplace that is trying to be creative. So you can dress casually Um, There are ping pong tables. There are all of these markers that say we are creative, but there's very traditional hierarchical structure to the way agencies organize themselves that I think is desperate for disruption. It sounds like a not super easy place to be starting a career in your early 20s. No, it wasn't. But I also didn't know what I didn't know. So, so much of the misogyny that I encountered was internalized because I didn't know that that wasn't how it was supposed to be. There are so many things that happened earlier on in my career that I look back on now and I'm like, ooh, well, that was kind of weird that I didn't at the time think was weird because I just didn't know any better. So, one of the first agencies I worked at, they were going to bring me to South by Southwest. This was in 2010 or 2011 and big interactive festival down in Austin where I live now. And I was so excited to like go on my first work trip. I was feeling like such a boss. I was like, Ooh, I get to like fly somewhere for work. Like that is the dream. You know, like I was saying earlier, the barrier was just so low. Of course, now I like travel all the time. And and it's not as glamorous as you think. But at the time, I was like, oh my gosh, I get to like go to this conference. It's going to be so cool. And they had added me, they got my badge late. So they had added me to the itinerary kind of later. Um, and they had identified that, you know what, we really should send her, like she's doing a lot of relevant work to what's happening at this festival and she should really be there. And it was a small agency and they didn't have like a ton of money to put toward um, internal investment travel like this. And so I remember our CEO at the time had suggested that I share a room with him. And he was like, oh, we'll just get like a room that has two beds. And I remember 
the female account director who was coming, she had was already sharing a room with someone else. And she was like, um, you can't do that. Like, that is not okay. Like, and I think it just never occurred to him, like being a married, like I don't, or, or he didn't care or what, but I remember I just felt so put on the spot that this was even suggested that what was I going to say? No, like, I don't want to go down to South by Southwest unless you like buy me my own hotel room. I had no clue how to even react to a little thing like that. And of course, it, it worked out that he actually didn't even end up coming. And so I got the whole hotel room, which was amazing. I got the CEO suite. But to think that it would even be suggested that like, I should share a hotel room with my male CEO was kind of nuts in retrospect. Wow, I was holding my breath to find out <laughs> how the story Nothing too egregious. <laughs> but think of where that could have gone. Like, think of how that could have ended up. Because who am I in like such a so much less power in that dynamic than he had? And sometimes, like, I really think sometimes people don't even realize the inherent power that they hold in roles like that. That when they say something, people listen. And people take it really seriously. And I feel like if, well, if the CEO is saying that's how we should do it, I don't know any better. Yes. Awareness is such an important thing. And it's something that I really want and hope and encourage men to think more about because, you know, this applies to all form of privilege, but you first need to understand that you have it and in what ways it manifests so that you can do the right thing in these situations. And it, it can be a situation like that, like yours, which is extreme, all the way to a meeting that has eight men and two women. There's already a power dynamic before anyone's even said a word. And I wish that men did a bit more. And yeah. I, I don't know why that's not part of this right now, or that I at least don't see it. But it's it's something that I think is incredibly important. Oh, yeah. I uh, We had a speaker come in to the agency that I was most recently at, and she came in to talk about cultural appropriation. And it was a presentation that she'd given at the agency she worked at. She was someone in my peer network. And I said, oh, you already have it? Like, come by next time you're in Austin. I'd love for you to present that to my team. And we were able to set it up such that anyone that at the agency was available at that time could come and participate in. And I was so excited to see that our male president and our male chief creative officer were both coming, um, both white cis men um, were coming to this cultural appropriation thing, because again, some of this change really does start at the top. And so it's one thing for me as the director of strategy in the department to really um, integrate some of these, integrate an awareness of cultural appropriation into my team. But at a bigger organizational level, it really takes some initiative from the top. And so I was so excited to see them come. And as the presentation was going on, they were getting increasingly like aggressive with her and kind of saying, well, isn't this subjective? And like, well, how do you know what cultural appropriation is? And like, who are you to decide that that's cultural appropriation? Because to me, that doesn't seem like cultural appropriation. And it, it was so quick for them to be like, well, I don't understand it. Like there's no guideline on what is or isn't cultural appropriation. So you're wrong. And it was very embarrassing 
for me, it was very uncomfortable for a lot of people who were there to participate and learn and be open. And we were talking about this before we started recording, but things like just taking a beat to really listen um, before jumping in with, uh, you know, provocative questions or disagreement or um, really trying to poke holes in something someone says. I would encourage anyone, but particularly men in positions of power, when they're learning something or hearing something that challenges them, just like we were talking about earlier, to really take a beat and examine why that is triggering them and really examine what about it it is that they don't understand and see if they can on their own find ways to explore and maybe educate themselves or talk to a trusted friend or peer about where they might be able to learn a little bit more or or talk through that that challenging point. Because when a president or a chief creative officer jumps in and says, well, I don't agree, or I'm not sure I understand what you're saying, that is the inherent power that I'm talking about that sometimes they miss. That like when, when the president says it, what do you think the associate level designer is going to do? Challenge the president on him saying like, well, cultural appropriation seems su- subjective then. No, she's not going to say anything. She's going to sit back and start to feel like she's not welcome there anymore or that that her, you know, her people that are supposed to have her back that are signing her checks don't really understand the cultural context in which she exists. And it swings the other way too. So if you have a leader who decides that they're going to go about this in the right way. And and everyone makes mistakes and this can be hard stuff to do and no one does it perfectly, but they're going to have have this openness and use their position of power to raise awareness and set examples for an entire company or an entire industry, whatever it is, that can have such an incredibly positive ripple effect. So it frustrates me when people are neutral and don't do anything. It's even more frustrating the kinds of things that you're talking about, which are incredibly harmful. But then I just look and I see missed opportunities. And I I wonder, are people not thinking about this? Or is it just they are, but it's just not a priority? Yeah, I, I don't know. But in terms of action steps, this is one of the things that I say, like, where you can walk away. And if you're really um, working on your confidence and you're working on yourself and you're working on um, learning how to navigate these crucial conversations, next time you find yourself in that environment, you might find that you're the one to speak up and you're the one to say, actually, I, I disagree with that. Or I think there's an opportunity for us to learn and maybe we should let her speak a little bit more. Or Um, I'm happy to chat with you after the presentation is over and maybe we can go through this a little bit more. Um, I'm really interested in what she has to say. And, And if you can start to do some of that personal development work, when situations like this come up, they won't take your power as much because you'll have built it up. And that is a hard thing to do. What you're, what you're talking about is so hard, but it's, it's important. And I think that there are major changes and major shifts that need to happen. And they're happening in some places, but uh, not not nearly on a macro enough scale, in my opinion. Yeah. And if you're th- I, I think the other thing I would just say in, in, in any situation like that, too, is like if you 
are questioning something or something is making you feel icky or like this isn't right or this isn't appropriate or I don't like the way this conversation is going, you're probably not the only one. And by you being to in- the one to initiate can create that safety that we talked about for a lot of other people to open up and for real change and dialogue to potentially happen. But it has to sometimes take that one person to crack it open. I'm really glad that you mentioned that. And that story is a little bit haunting, but also I think an important one to be heard and to be out there, stories like that. Oh, yeah. And and listen, this isn't just the advertising industry. There is inherent um, problems with the advertising industry right now and, and the culture of our industry and of our community. But this is something that could have happened anywhere. Um, this is It's just a symptom of the changes in the times that we're in right now, but it's not something that um, we need to feel powerless about. It's not something that should be silencing us. It's something that should be helping us grow our power. And it should be something that um, excites us about what is on the other side of it. I agree. Speaking up on behalf of someone else is not only incredibly powerful, but also necessary. Oh, absolutely. You can be that associate level designer and still acknowledge some of the privilege that you might have as a cis hetero woman or as um, someone that comes from a certain level of privilege uh, socioeconomically. Everyone has some sort of privilege in this world. And I think when I talk about understanding dynamics and understanding how you exist in the world and really examining that, like that is definitely something I would encourage people to really look into is like, what advantages systemically have I benefited from? And how can I help create those for other people or challenge those systems where they need to be challenged? Um, in very even subtle ways sometimes. One of the things I did at my last agency that I, I hope has a very long ripple effect, but was just one tiny way I, I felt like I could use my privilege as the head of the department to do something differently was we do a lot of um, quantitative surveying. So we send out surveys for market research. We ask people to you know, weigh in on things. And one of the first questions we ask, what we call the screener portion of the survey is, We ask people their gender. And until I joined the company, it had always been on a binary, so either male, female. And I've really, I challenge that because that is, I want people to feel included. If the very first question we're asking them is, are they male or female? And they don't identify as male or female. Well, we've already sort of lost them in their participation in feeling like they want to give us their feedback on something or they want their voice to be heard. And it's, a, an adjustment that didn't affect me. Um, I can still cut the data very easily all these different ways beyond the the binary if I have um, other gender identity options. Uh, and so I, I hope it makes a difference to the one or two or three or 10 or 100 people who take surveys that come out of there now that include more than just male, female, and that that one little thing showed people that they can make little changes in their own way that make the world just an easier place to exist for others who the world is not always designed for. 
and it can be hard to do what you did. There's discomfort there. And I think sometimes there's fear behind it. And it's like, oh, should I just shake things up or should I just take the easy way mm -hmm. out? But with this stuff, it's not about you. <laughs> it doesn't really matter um, how you feel or if it's hard. And it, it also like, it's just, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. I think that's like, that's how I would sum it up. And I think it's, it's something special to have that power and be in that position. And, and everyone has their own form of it, but yes. to sort of recognize where you're at and what the scope of your impact can be, can be an excellent starting place. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm going to move into the listener question now. Okay. I feel it feels like the right time. Let's do it. And this is on the topic of being in a more male-dominated and hierarchical environment. This is what we're going to be talking about. So I'll read you the question. The listener asks, how do you handle a situation where your manager favors guys when it comes to casual conversation? Talk of sports and other male-oriented conversation is typically what holds his interest. While he gives us all equal attention when it comes to work-related topics, he definitely spends more casual discussion time with the males on his team. Theoretically, this wouldn't be a problem if promotions were solely based on work versus interpersonal relationships. How do I navigate this? Sincerely, aspiring ceiling breaker. It's a really good question. Really, really good question. And it's a hard one because even now, my gut reaction was like, oh, well, can't you just learn more about sports? So insane, <laughs> right? It's such crap. Um, you shouldn't have to cater your interests to build rapport with your own manager. Um, he should be making an effort to connect with you first and foremost. Um, but I have only ever had male managers. And so I have learned firsthand that that's just not always the way the cookie crumbles, that they're going to go out um, of their way to try and build a relationship with you. So um, in my most recent job, I had a manager just like this and something that really helped me grow and helped me um, build that relationship with him was learning to manage up. So managing up is a term you can Google. There's tons of resources out there about this idea of managing up. But in particular, the way that I did that with him is that studies have shown that one-on-one -on -one meetings are incredibly effective for team building and success at work. It's so simple and so many people aren't doing it, yet it's one of consistently one of the things that they say is also a determining factor in success and health at work. So I would recommend setting up a weekly check-in with him. Maybe it's really informal, um, like just a walkabout around the block or time in the cafeteria if your work has something like a cafeteria or a nearby coffee shop just to check in. I wouldn't even position it as like, hey, I'm trying to like get to know you better or build rapport with you. Um, but you could do it in a way that shows a lot of professional maturity. So I'm trying to grow. I'd like to get more always on feedback. I'd love to have more of an always on dialogue about how I'm doing. I'd love to keep you up to date on some of the projects that I've been working on or I'd love to better know what's going on behind the scenes at the office so that I can um, understand opportunities that might be coming up that I can take advantage of and use that time in work-related conversation to start to build that foundation and build that rapport. 
maybe you open up a bit and share something that you did over the weekend and see if he bites or um, you ask them something a little bit more casual and informal. But I think that frequency of one-on-one time will start to lay that foundation for having your own relationship with your manager so that you don't feel like you're missing out on that group dynamic or that you're not benefiting from some of those casual conversations because you have your own relationship with him that you're working on. That is such good advice. And one trick is asking people about themselves because everyone loves talking about themselves. Yes. What did you do this weekend? It's it's so um, easy and you'll learn a lot even just from the answer like, oh, I just, you know, hung out at home with the kids. Cool. Great. Note has kids like, (laughs) uh, oh, just like did some yard work. Note has a yard like does yard work. But there are little things that you can just start to tuck away for later um, to bring back up, you know, if you're not like a sports person or you're feeling like you're not really um, included in some of those conversations, create your own. And don't worry if it doesn't feel completely natural. I had a lot of managers who were male and a couple decades or one to two decades older than me. Mm. And it's not always the most natural. But don't don't worry about that too much. That's not your problem. Yeah. That's just that's the, the situation's problem. Yeah. And all you have to do is just give it your best effort. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and that's what it is, is it especially at first it might feel uncomfortable, but it's about that frequency of checking in and all of those things that over time start to like crumble that wall a little bit that like you start to really get to know them a little bit better and benefit from everything that comes from having a closer relationship with them, that they get to know you too. And they, they have your back a little bit more. And if they know what your interests are, they'll be more inclined to keep an eye out for those opportunities that might exist that you don't know about yet, or um, better put you on projects that might align with what you're trying to do and how you're trying to grow. There's huge work benefits to um, growing those personal relationships too. Aspiring ceiling breaker. I hope that that's helpful. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, me too. It's time now to move to a couple of closing questions. Okay. So one of them is one that we've already hit on a bit. So if there's more to add, let me know. But the show is called The Art of Speaking Up. And this is where I give you the floor to share why you think it's important and what it means to you. Yeah. So I've been thinking about this a lot, even just outside of this podcast. and. As we we touched on this earlier, but I think I, I really want to drive this home that until we have a world in which people, uh, particularly people who have, and we've used the word power a lot, but I also want to maybe use the word influence, people that have influence in an organization, until we're consistently looking out for and advocating for one another, it's so important that you learn to speak up for yourself first. Um There's some data that was published this year. Of course, you can tell I'm a researcher because I'm like citing all of this data in in our conversation. But I'm a nerd. I like read up on this stuff for fun. Uh, It's I find this all so fascinating. But Harvard Business Review published a study this year that showed that this youngest cohort of women coming into the workplace right now are not only speaking up. Um, on in salary negotiation and raise negotiation at an equal rate to their male counterparts, 
but they are receiving just as much when they ask as their male counterparts. And so what we need to do is begin to apply that enthusiasm and that skill to all of the areas at work in which we're at a systemic disadvantage. So speaking up when the office is cold is an actual problem. Offices are cold because they were designed for men in suits. Women, speak up if you are cold and ask them to warm up the office. That will start to have a ripple effect to people with who may have um, disabilities, for example, speaking up about accommodations that they need to get their work done in an office. So if we can start to apply this momentum that already exists for speaking up about things like raises and negotiations, um, let's start applying that everywhere else. And I really believe that like, when we do start to get effective at doing this for ourselves, it creates an environment in which others start to feel safer to speak up in which we can start to speak up for people whose voices haven't been heard. That's, in my opinion, how you change culture. Agree. And I think culture is such a cent- central piece to all of this. Yeah. So it's time for the very last question. So I started this show to essentially touch women and help women with whatever is hard for them. Some of the things that I've went through just to make them feel better mm. <laughs> and kind of have a place of solace. So I like to give this last opportunity to the guest to share whatever it is they want to share with any women who are listening. Yeah. And this, it really does bring it full circle because I think we touched on this like at the very, very beginning. There's this quote from Desmond Tutu, who's an anti-apartheid human rights activist. Um, He says, it's very famous, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you've chosen the side of the oppressor. And so I think it's really important that we're having these conversations, but also think about how as you're developing your skills, um, growing as a person, growing in the workplace and learning new skills, think about how what you're learning can help someone else too. So every time you learn a new negotiation tip or you learn a new um, tip about public speaking, like in your next podcast episode, think about who you can share that with that would also benefit from developing their skills in that way. So that every time you're getting a seat at the table, you're opening up a seat for someone else too, because we really need to be better about bringing in other people um, and starting to speak up for others as well. That's really what I see as the more evolved version of speaking up for ourselves and what we should be striving for. I really like that. Listen, we're primed for this. Like women are so um, empathetic. We're such like emotional beings. And I think we've been trained to suppress that in the workplace. And I, I now I'm kind of feeling the opposite, that our our empathy and our emotion is what's going to give us a competitive advantage long term. Our ability to multitask and all of the ways in which we've been naturally doing it since we were born is going to give us that advantage that we can be looking out for our other women, our other people who need us looking out for them, um, in addition to advocating for ourselves. It's not one or the other. It's yes and. It's I can ask for more for myself and I can make sure that when I'm a manager, I'm advocating for people on my team who may not be asking for themselves. 
Thank you for listening. If you've made it here, I hope that you enjoyed part one of my conversation with Caitlin. If you listened, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I got completely lost when I was talking with her. And frankly, I was in awe of how well-spoken and helpful and honest and powerful Caitlin was. And she was really inspirational to me. And I hope that you felt the same thing. She did mention both in this episode and in part one in my talks with her, the suggestion of getting better at public speaking. And she mentioned that that was a skill that she thinks is really important for almost anyone in the professional world. And my next couple of episodes are all about that topic. So if that's something that you're interested in or is relevant to you in your career, I definitely recommend checking those out. I think that they'll be really, really helpful. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you are and you want to make me jump for joy, you can rate the show. I get very excited whenever there's a new rating. Um, I notice every single one because I look obsessively. <laughs> um, but it, I, it just, it makes me feel seen as the creator of the show. And it's a really special feeling to get that feedback and know that there are people listening and liking it. It's been really fun talking with you, and I'm really excited for the next couple of episodes, so I'll catch you in those and enjoy the rest of your day. If you want to advance in your career, you have to be able to speak up with confidence and advocate for what it is you need. There's a word for this skill. It's called assertiveness, and many women find it very difficult to do. Luckily, it is totally possible to build confidence in your voice, and I wrote an ebook specifically to help you do that. It's called The Smart, Ambitious Woman's Guide to Assertiveness in the Workplace, and it will guide you through a series of simple steps that will help you speak up and be more assertive in a way that feels authentic to who you really are. To get your free copy, go to www.assertivenessebook.com or go to the free resources section at the bottom of the show notes where you will find the link. Remember, your voice is your key to success at work and you are empowered to decide how you want to use it.